0: thank you for your presence which it so often reminds us of. Um, We we pray that as we explore this song um, together that uh, your spirit would move among us and that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you. It's the name of Christ we ask. Amen. Amen. Good morning everyone. Uh, Matt, do you have the clicker? Oh, wow, you're good. Um, I was as I've been working on Psalm 37, I've been i was thinking about when we named our church, and um, I can remember as a long time ago, we were, um, long, long time ago, I think there was a meeting at Warren and Jan Brown's house. Um, many of you know Warren, Jan uh, was Warren's wife, she passed a number of years ago. Um, but we 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 kinda of, kind of gotten some you know input from a lot of different people in the church at the time and we you know were at this like all right how are we gonna how are we gonna name ourselves? Name kinda of matters, you know. Um, and so we were thinking about like values that were important and like geography and kind of things we hoped for as a church and Um, I'd love to kind of see a video of that meeting nowadays Like we're probably like trying to be cooler than we were and you know coming up with different metaphors and you know different things like that Um, I think Sonia might even have been at that meeting Um, and how we landed on mountainside communion uh, one again geography was was important to us Um, thought about foothill there's a lot of foothills um, so we didn't go foothill but we, we wanted to, to name, yeah, we're going to be in this space near the mountains. Um, the Sermon on the Mount was, was a part of that. Um, this, this idea that um, the people of God would be those that are invited in following Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we, we settled on mountainside. Uh, and then for communion, um, some of the hopes around that were we had, we had begun already at that time to celebrate communion or Eucharist every Sunday. And so... That was super important for us. Um, we had real hopes that our community would be be one that was um, strong together, um, that was a spiritual community of support and love and encouragement for one another. Um, and then we we had we had hopes of really emphasizing um, our communion with God, um, and our and our time and and, and relationship with God. And so. Um, as, comu- as confusing as it's been at some points to be mountainside communion, whenever someone says mountainside communion church, you know they're like trying to help somebody understand what we are. Um, uh, that's that's kind of where our, some of our, our hopes um, uh, were and I think still are um, and, and how that name came about. And the reason I thought about that is because I think Psalm 37 in, invites us into a way of thinking about communion with God. Um, And so last week we looked at this kind of on-ramp to communion, which is this this call in Psalm 37 to commit your way to the Lord. Anybody remember we talked about hands open, kind of a a symbol of commitment, hands open, um, palms down, offering all that we have, um, all that we are to God. Hands open, holding the gifts that we have, Capacities we have, the beautiful things God has given us, hands open, holding the myths that we so easily can buy into, the pains, the realities of life that we face, holding it all, hands open, palms down, um, offered offered to God. Let's, uh, let's read this psalm together together. Um, If we can, I'll read it for us. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong because they will fade fast like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord and he will give you what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. He will act. Will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't fret when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger, leave rage behind. Do not fret, it will only lead to evil. And so for both the psalmist and and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, there's these like two paths that we're invited to consider. I kind of think of them as two poles because the reality is we live in between these two paths. That there's the path of God, the narrow path, um, what we might call communion with God. And there's the path of the wicked, the path, the broad path, um, the path that leads to to death and destruction. Um, And the psalms oftentimes are kind of working on what, it, what, it, what does it mean to kind of be invited into that path. And so, again, we talked about last week this idea of commitment being kind of the on-ramp to a life of communion with God. And some of the, some of the things that the psalmist seems to think, and, and Jesus as well, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, that, that, that kind of keep us from this communion with God is worry or fret, three times, um, it's the word fret is used in Psalm 37. And last week we talked about, uh, we looked at Jesus' teaching on um, worry and this invitation to life in God's kingdom or a life that loves and serves money or wealth. And that worry is kind of the, the way to get off the path towards communion with God. Um, worry about these things um, can become the very nature of a life that doesn't lead to to life uh, abundant and with God. And we talked about why worry is something that kind of plagues us from time to time. And we looked at these different, different myths, this myth that we can somehow add value to who we are rather than recognizing, no, our value is in our birthright as people made in the image of God. We talked about the myth of scarcity, that there somehow is not enough resources out there for us to have our heart's desires, for us to have what we need, and yet, no, we want to say God's, God's world is abundant with resources. It's about how we share those um, and how we work with those. We looked at this myth that, like, somehow we are empty vessels, we are not enough, and we need something, anything to fill us. Um, and so we go to these appetites that we have as human beings, and we go to them in excess. Um, when in reality we are, we are everything that we need and God knows those things that we need and can provide those for us and then this myth of control that if we have just like the right economic system the right political system the right government we will have security um, and we, we explored the reality that no, our, our security is found um, in God's love and, and protection and faithfulness to us and so Hebrews gets at this too, a Hebrew author of Hebrews writes, so you see that a Sabbath rest, and it's talking about a, a, a big life of rest here um, because of God's work in Christ, is left open for God's people. The one who entered God's rest also rested from his works just as God rested from his own. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter that rest, that communion, so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience um, so trust the lord enjoy the lord commit your way to the lord um, be still before the lord those are the the practices we're, we're going to look at over the next next few weeks and today we're looking at um, trust the lord and do good live in the land and farm faithfulness um, the ability to trust and have faith in god is a gift It is a gift from God. It's not something that we can kind of just muster up on our own, but let's be real. That gift is exercised more easily by some of us than others, right? Our personalities, our makeup, our life experiences, kind of leaning in heavy in trust of God is something that comes maybe more naturally to some than others, Um, maybe is really challenging for some of us because of uh, all sorts of different reasons. Maybe, um, it's maybe I don't know, it's in a similar category as when we get to a swimming pool and our behavior upon arrival. I don't know. When you, when you come to a pool, there are those that maybe we'll call them the leapers, right? When you get to a pool, how many of you are leapers when you get to a pool? You see a body of water, maybe as a kid, you walked up to a pool... And before you had your sunblock on, before you had your floaties adjusted, before your parents could even get all the clothes off that needed to get off, you are trucking on your way, jumping into that pool, not having felt the water, and you are in and you are going, right? Now, how many of those do we have in here? We got a few? All right. There's leapers when you get to a pool, right? Now, on the other end, we have calculators, we'll call them. You get to the pool... Kind of check the temperature, make sure you got your sunscreen on all right. Maybe when you're younger, you're like checking the, uh, the oxygen air level of your floaties to make sure that the math works, that it's going to hold you up when you get in the water. Um, maybe you kind of even check out the scene of the pool, see what's going on. Is it safe? Is it dangerous? Is that one person there who's going to think it's funny to dunk me under or not? And you you sit on your chair and you're calculating on whether you're going to jump in. And then maybe for many of us, we can kind of find ourselves between those two poles. Maybe we're the toe tippers, where we, we walk up to the pool. We're kind of doing what the calculators are doing, but we've got some movement at least, right? We go to the, the first step, we put our toe in, we're feeling the water a little bit, and we, when we're ready, we kind of kind of ease in. Now, I'm not saying that what you were as a child is indicative of your faith posture. Um, but, uh, but maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think it works as maybe a, a metaphor, um, if nothing else. Um, I have a friend, his name's John. This is a picture of John and his family. I've known John since we were in high school. John is a leaper. I mean, this, his name is John. I think after John the Baptist, I'm not certain, but if not, it should have been. This, this guy... ...is one that I have watched since we were 16 years old... ...who just, if God puts something in front of him... ...and he has a conviction that that is what God is calling him to... ...he just goes for it. He had been accepted into a college, Point Loma actually... ...found out the money wasn't there like he thought it was for scholarships. Illinois opened up. In one day, he decided, I'm not going to San Diego... I'm moving to Illinois, and that's where he went to college. And I'm just sitting there going, what? Can you do that? I guess you can. Um, he went and studied in college, did all the things he needed to do. Um, he and, he met, met who would be his wife. They got to know each other very quickly, and they were engaged very quickly. Um, and he just knew that that's what God was calling him to and he just went for it, and I said, "Wow, well, you can do that! I guess you can." Um, he did a lot of teaching, did some different kind of creative things over the summer, where he's teaching literature to kids who um, didn't have quite the exposure to some of the liter- great literature of the world. He's an English major, and has a graduate degree in that. And so he spent his summers in Galveston, Texas, teaching kids all about great literature. Of, of the world really um, while I'm like working summer Christian camps and trying to get into ministry the way I ended up doing it he's, he's doing these exciting things I'm like huh you can just do that huh at some point he gets asked to come pastor a church in Los Angeles he does it he just moves on a dime hey Amanda and I are moving out to Los Angeles we're going to pastor a church in Westridge, Westchester wow alright John you go and then he's there for a number of years. He meets people. He's got people living in his house, moving out. He adopted his son, Carlton. Um, that's Carlton's wife, Misty. They, they're, they're, they're all a big family. I'm like, you can, you can adopt someone who's 19, 20 years old? Yeah, I guess you can. John and Amanda do it. They get the phone call. You want to move to Oakland? Start a church up in Oakland? Sure, he's all for it. And the stories go on and on. He's a leaper. And if you're like me, you look at leapers and you're like, oh, wow. I mean, I can see, many, you know, there's, I could tell you his whole story. There's been times where he's leaped and I'm like, uh, I don't know if he should have leapt there. Um, <laughs> but there's something really powerfully inspiring to watch people who just when they they have a sense of God's call on their life they've got the courage to go for it Um, trust in the Lord and do good communion with God Um, live in the land and farm faithfulness I want to look at a story from the Old Testament it's a story of Ahaz let me say this, I don't think calculators I'm a calculator a lot of times um I don't think calculators offend god i think god made us that way so before we i don't want to set up some false like um kind of option here you're either leaper or you're like you got some work to do we all have work to do even the leapers um but our brothers and sisters who are leapers i think have something to teach us maybe to to give us courage with um I think God made us who are calculators just the way we are, and we we bring gifts to the body. I'm glad that on our church board we have some calculators, and we have some leapers, and we have some toe-tippers. We need it all. Um, And so that's why I kind of feel bad for Ahaz, because Ahaz is always on the bad kings list in the scriptures. Um, He's always there, and this is why. Um, in, In 1 Samuel chapter 8... The people of God are demanding a king, and they want a king so they can be like other nations. And as much as Samuel and God tell them, you don't want that, trust me, that's not what you want, they argue and argue and argue, and ultimately they get what they want. And they have three kings, Saul, David, Solomon, and after those three, they probably come to realize, this didn't quite work out as well as we wanted it to, um, The nation divides into two. Ten tribes go to the north, become Israel. Two tribes go to the south, become Judah. Um, And in 722, Assyria, the big empire, comes in and takes the northern Israel, the ten tribes of Israel. And Judah holds them off, but but even Judah, a couple hundred years later in 587, succumbs. Ahaz was the ruler, though, of Judah in 735 to about 712 or so. Seven fifteen. Isaiah, Chronicles, and Kings tell this story in different ways. We're going to look at Isaiah a little bit today. And Isaiah, as you know, a lot of times is read during Advent because there's all these hopes for who the one that would come and save Israel would be, and we, and we, we read those to understand Jesus. But I want, to, I want to read it mostly at its original level of context today, and then we can touch on, 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 on a couple other contexts at the end. Um, and so here's, here's what's going on. In, in 735, Ahaz has a big problem on his hand because King Rezin of Syria and King Pekah of Israel, they've made this coalition and they're coming together and they're trying to get other small countries to come together to resist Assyria, all right? And so they want to come to Ahaz and say, hey, I know Assyria looks big and mighty and powerful. We want you to join us so that we can resist them. Um, and all of this... So Pekah has tried, he, he tried, first of all, he tried to go to, to Judah to talk to Jotham, who was Ahaz's dad. Um, and Jotham, you know, um, didn't go for it. And, and so um, the reason he didn't go for it is because when they were on their way to talk to Jotham, Jotham died. And then Ahaz became the king. And so they're coming to talk to Ahaz to see if they can get him to join And in the midst of this, Isaiah comes on the scene and he says to Ahaz, be careful, stay calm, don't fear, don't lose heart over these two pieces of smoking torches, a little bit of trash talk there, Um, over the burning anger of Rezin, Aram, and Ramalia's son. That's the two that I was just mentioning, they they use different language in each of the different, different books. Aram planned evil against you with Ephraim and Remelia's son, saying, let's march up against Judah, tear it apart, capture it for ourselves, and install Tabil's son as its king. But the Lord God says, it won't happen. It won't take place. He even invites Ahaz to, to, off to say, God, I need a sign. I need a sign that tells me That this is your word. And it can be as deep as the grave or as high as the heavens. I mean, this is a big um, proclamation from Isaiah. But what what Ahaz does is he he calculates. It's like he took took a, a yellow pad, a legal pad. He puts security on the top. And he puts a line down the middle. And he's like, do I listen to Isaiah? Or do I figure something else out? And in this story, he, he does what you might expect. He, he figures something else out. He looks at the size of the militaries of these little countries. He looks at the will of his people, kind of the political power he wants to have. And he says, there's no way I'm trusting what this crazy prophet is saying. And so what he does is he gets in cahoots with Assyria. He goes in and he melts a bunch of gold in the temple and he gives the gold to this Assyrian leader. Um says, I'll give you this if, you, if you'll just leave us alone. And so what the leader of Assyria does is he takes that wealth, he takes that power, and he goes and he destroys all the nations, including, including um, Syria and, and Israel. Mm. Isaiah comes back and he says, listen, house of David, isn't it enough? For you to be tiresome for people? That you're also tiresome before my God? Therefore, because you've done this, Ahaz, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son. And she'll name him Emmanuel. He'll eat butter and honey and learn to reject evil and choose good. Before the boy learns to reject evil and choose good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. Um, scholars agree that this is referring to Hezekiah um, in this early context. We read this a lot at Advent and we think about Jesus. But in the, in the first story, it's about Hezekiah. And traditionally, a child comes of age or can tell the, the difference between right and wrong about 12 um, And so what this is saying, there's this power of Assyria. It's going to rise up. It's going to be a greater threat. Um, And in that time, God's going to anoint a new leader, different than Ahaz. That's going to operate differently than the way Ahaz does. And the way he operates, it's going to be described as Emmanuel. Because it's going to point to the people that God is with us. Um, And so, in Isaiah 36 and 37... The 14th year of the king of Assyria, a new, this new king, he comes to collect on the debts of Ahaz. He comes to Hezekiah, who's now in power. And he tells his messengers, don't let Hezekiah fool you by saying the Lord will rescue us. He's going to be like Ahaz. He's not going to really follow that. Did any of the other gods of the nation save their lands from the power of Assyria's king and so we have the same similar threat same invitation from isaiah trust god Um, and it ends up being a bit of a different response because hezekiah takes this letter of of threats from assyria he takes it into the temple he lays it on the altar he lays himself on the ground and It says, Lord of praise, Lord of heavenly forces, God of Israel, you sit enthroned on the winged creatures. You alone are God over all the earth's kingdoms. You made both heaven and earth. Lord, turn your ear this way and hear. Lord, open your eyes and see. Listen to this guy's words. He sent them to insult the living God. It's true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have destroyed all the nations in their lands. The Assyrians burn the gods of those nations with fire because they aren't real gods. They are only man-made creations of wood and stone. That's how the Assyrians could destroy them. So now, Lord, our God, please save us from Sennacherib's power. Then all the earth's kingdoms will know that you alone are God. Hezekiah, he took his calculations, and rather than just Following those directly, he laid them at this altar and trusted them to God. Um, and he became the first Emmanuel king, the first the first one that would would, would would be described as the one who points the people to the presence of God in their midst. So we know how this passage has been used to describe Jesus. We, we, we worship Christ every, every Sunday when we come together. Today I want us to ask, well, what does that mean for us today? What does a story like this translate to for us today? We need those who calculate. God has made us that way. Um, it's wisdom in that. Um, and God, I think, is inviting us sometimes to set our calculations aside or at least at the altar uh, like Hezekiah did to lay ourselves before God and trust. Because we enter communion with God in commitment, hands open, palms down, and we walk the path of communion with God by leaning heavy into trusting that God is, in fact, with us and calling us to things that don't always match our, our calculations. I was with, um, I think it was 100 pastors this weekend at a, at a conference down at Point Loma. And um, one of the speakers is a friend of mine. His name's Chris. Um, and Chris, a number of years ago, was on staff at a church and, um, I'll spare you all the details, but he went through an incredibly tumultuous time in this church where in one day, four of his colleagues were out of nowhere, terminated their positions, asked to leave immediately. Um, and he, it just spent, spent sent him just completely spinning. Um, how does it happen? Um. Why, why does a pastor do this? Why does a church do this? The more he learned, the more struggle he had as he heard about different levels of leadership that had been involved. And he's just like, I can't, I can't believe this. What, what's going on? Um, and over the weeks and, and, and months ahead, I mean, he was asking the big questions like, if this is how pastors are treated, like, I want nothing to do with this. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to do something different. I'm already studying psychology right now. Maybe I just go that route. Maybe, maybe I could just turn in my credentials altogether. And one day during this big season, he gets a, his first phone call of the day. It's a college roommate and he says, Chris, I don't, I don't know what's going on with you right now. I'm getting heard. But um, I just felt the sense I needed to call you and check in on you and to pray for you. And Chris tells him, a little bit what's going on. And he said, you know, I just, I don't know, but I, I just have a, a passage I want you to think about reading. Psalm 37. Hung up the phone. Now, that's great, but he, he didn't know what I'm going through. Hour later, another phone call, another friend. Toy different, toy disconnected. Chris, I don't know why, but I, I feel like God's calling me to call you today and check in. I don't know what's going on, but something's going on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for calling. And and I don't know why, but Psalm 37 is just on my heart. I want to tell you, maybe encourage you to read it. Two more friends that very same day called him, checking in, unknowing what's going on, and all four of them inviting him to consider reading Psalm 37. This weekend, Chris was there teaching a hundred pastors, all based in his research about clergy care and well-being because he's become uh, one of the leading researchers and writers for clergy care and well-being in the country. Um, He was ready to, to worry his way right off the path um, to this he was ready to be done um, but we enter this path of communion God with commitment and we, we travel it with leaning heavy towards trust that God is in fact with us no matter what, no matter what we're facing I was thinking about the, the countries, the nations like, that we read about in some of these stories Babylon, Assyria, Rome Nation, all these big big nations, all of which who no longer exist. They've come and they've gone. And yet we're reading these stories about faith communities and churches, these resilient this resilient movement um, that has outlasted nations and even empires. In our world, uh, our our little church has been through it the last few years. It's nice to be with a hundred pastors because you find out you're not the only church that's been through it over the last three years. But we've had we've had we've experienced incredible loss as a body. Um, we've we've had our moments of is God with us? Um, I mean. Families that have moved, right? We, we've, we've lost families. The Joneses are not with us anymore. Anthony, Nicole, who led our boards um, for, so, so for, for a number of years. Helen, Chloe, they moved, you know, back to Kansas. The newfelds have moved up north. Becky's no longer doing the tidings for us. And they were, they were such kind of committed um, people in our community. We, we suffered great pain as a community uh, when a church member decided uh, to, to do horrific things um, and treat people horrifically. And, and we lost him and we lost his wife and we, we still bear the pain of that action. We bear the pain of a community where we, we, we didn't step in soon enough. We bear the pain of people who've left our community because of those actions. Um, uh, We we know what it's like to have lost, to be in precarious situations. Um, Yet we sit here and the riddles are here. Um, Justin and Renee and the girls. Um, and they show up on a Sunday, the same Sunday that Matt and Juliana show up. Um, They've got a little bit of history together, um, and they're leaning heavy in to what's going on around here, doing setup, up, both of them are, we wouldn't have set up if it wasn't for these two new households that have, have come in and um, and just jumped in with all they got leaped in if you will to the pool um testing the water maybe a little bit but hardly (laughs) um uh, we've been through it and god has been god has been faithful rachel and robbie are here the kids um Jumping on in, testing the waters for very understandable reasons, right? Bringing their own experiences to church as they sort through what God's calling them to. Um, the, the newness of life and energy. Um, Nancy's been around a little bit, right? Kind of feeling things out and now she's up here leading us and music and this whole big old band that her and Deborah have like pulled together. Thanks to everyone um, for doing that. Whether they know it or not, there are Hezekiahs. They're the ones who can point us. Hey, I know it's been a hard few years. I know there's been loss that we still feel in our bones and relationships and pain. But God is with you. God is with us. Um, that's the message of of Hezekiah, um, the Emmanuel King, um, who points us to the living Christ, um, who we gather around this table to celebrate with this kind of fervor. Here come the leapers right here, uh, um, together. Um, so join me. Put your hands out, if you will. O- oblige me, if you, if you don't mind. Um, all that we got... All that we've experienced as a body. We name it, it's real. This is not to to downplay anything that we've been through. All the gifts and blessings that we have. we, We have these in our hands. And we commit to God. And we turn the palms down. Offering all we've got. Because the living God is with us and among us. In this community. And we've got one another to continue to invite each other to lean in to trust that this God who's been with us will not forsake us, um, but will guide us into a beautiful future that we have we have yet to even know. But my guess has had a lot to do with these little ones that walked in, walked into the room. Zach, would you come and lead us in Eucharist this morning?